0: you join me, Matthew 18 this morning, Matthew 18, and Mike's welcome and introductory thoughts this morning, I know where my mind went when he asked the question that he asked, so as you're finding Matthew 18, we'll be in our third message in that chapter in just a moment, I hope I'm not inappropriate in reading what I'm about to read. So this has to do with Mike's question in my life. So Friday, uh, Jonathan sent uh, five of us a text. It was at 2.20 p.m. And most of you know our son Jonathan's. He's graduated boot camp from the Marines. He's now in Jacksonville, North Carolina at a school. And he's an in infantry school. And so they went out at some point Monday. And so he's not with it at his phone. He has to leave that behind. And they go out in the field. That's what they did last week. Uh, spent a lot of the week in a foxhole, we found out, with lots of rain. um, And there's a story behind that, but I won't hit that. So at 2.20, we don't know when he gets back to base and all. You never know what a day holds. He writes the following. Hello, all. I'm back from the field. And just a quick request to pray for my buddy, and I'll not say the name. Pray for my buddy, and he names him. He heat cased on the 15K hike out there. He was at a core temperature of 108.6 degrees for two minutes and it basically fried his brain. Seconds from death right in front of me. And keep praying for personal safety throughout training because it can happen to anybody. So that's what we got at 220 and we ended up asking questions back and forth. He couldn't really talk. We talked that night. Um, so this buddy is back on base and alive and speaking and all. And that was a, a shock to me. But who gets credit for that? The Lord. I mean, this happened right in front of them. Jonathan said they were all dumping water, their canteens, putting ice, everything they could do. And they had to keep continuing the week. It happened Monday night and not really knowing. And finally, they got word that he didn't just survive. He's he's asking when he can get back in with the group. And that's a miracle. That doesn't happen. You know, you don't get to that for that for a period of time, so praise the Lord, and we're thankful. Um, We were praying prayers of, Lord, do a deliverance. Lord, be with the family. Thank you, God, it wasn't us. You just never know, so live prepared. Uh, What a great song. Our God is still in control, as we sang just two songs ago. Matthew 18, can I do this? Uh, Astrid, I hope I don't throw you a curveball. You're prepared to show our verses But there's a note that follows like the third screen. In a moment, I'm going to go ahead and hit that first note. So if you'll join me, Matthew 18, in a little bit, we're going to read our text, verses 10 through 14. But I'm going to go ahead and do the introductory thoughts first because we're going to run into a phrase that we need to understand who this is, okay? So if you have your Bible open, we'll have a note in a moment. But look, if you would, verse 6 because there's a phrase in today's text that comes up twice, and we need to, before we even get to the text, we need to identify who we're talking about. So you see verse 6. But whoever, this is what we preached on last week. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Then it goes on and says, it'd be better for them to die this horrible death. Like go ahead and get into eternity rather than live this life that causes this, these little ones. One of these little ones. So that was verse 6. Skip down, look at verse 10, just briefly. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. So, verse 6, don't cause one of these little ones to sin. Verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Skip down to verse 14. This will be the last verse of today's text. So, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. One of these little ones, three times. So, now you have chapter 18 open in front of you. And those of you watching online, thank you for joining us. I hope you have a Bible. In some form in front of you, whether you're scrolling or flipping, look back up to the first part. I'm not going to re preach all of that, but remember what was happening. The disciples come into this house in Capernaum. They're two or three weeks away from the Lord dying on a cross. They're up in Galilee, and soon they're going to make their way down to Jerusalem. He's been telling them what's going to happen. He's going to be delivered over to the hands of sinful men, and he'll be put to death. But they come into the house and the Lord asks them what you guys have been talking about. And they've been talking about something they don't want to say. They get quiet. He keeps pushing. Finally, it comes out they've been arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And you remember what Jesus does. He calls for a little child, a little boy. We think two, three, four years old, sets him in the middle. Now remember, this is key because we want to know at the outset, who are these little ones? So we're not just talking about children. I hope that's what was made clear last week. Because we started this message. This is all one message. This is the fourth major discourse. This whole chapter is one continuous thing. So even what we're looking at today is not the end of the story. This isn't the end of the story, but we want to hit it good while we're here. So he brings this little child over, and the Lord says, You guys are worried about who's the greatest in the kingdom. I'm paraphrasing and ad-libbing a little bit. Before you assume that you're going to even make it into the kingdom, you had better become. You have to turn and become like children. You have to become like children or you're not even going to enter the kingdom. So the Lord was saying there that I believe what he was saying was that you have to hit a point where you, like a little child, knows that it's dependent. And like a little child believes its father and its mother spiritually if you want to become a child of god you have to hit a point in life where you believe what god says about how to be saved and not what you think and you also have to realize that i am a dependent person i'm not bringing anything to the equation of salvation i'm just the receiver like the little little children are the takers and the parents are the givers and when it comes to salvation god is doing all the giving all we're doing is the receiving by faith and so that's why the note we're getting ready to take is out of verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones, so he uses a child as an example, but now he springs board onward that this child represents, stands for. If you're writing, taking notes, write this down. One of these little ones, that phrase in verse 6, 10, and 14, stands for a spiritual child of God of any age, of any age, It could be a four-year-old who comes to Christ. It could be a three-year-old, and that does happen occasionally. It could be a 15, 35, 85-year-old person. It doesn't matter. Anyone who has put their faith and they become a believer in Christ. That's what this little one that we're about to read, these little ones. So we're talking about what we now call Christians. They didn't have that phraseology then. So that's what today's text is dealing with is Christians. Just before we read this week's text... Let's recap last week. Here's what we learned. Three things. Number one, refuse to be a source of temptation for God's little ones. So make up your mind. Do not let yourself be the one who's a source of temptation to cause another Christian to sin with your words with your lifestyle, with your words or your actions. Don't let you be... Listen, the world's a tempting place. We're going to be tempted. Just make sure it's not you that's doing it. It would be better for you to go ahead and die and leave this world than to live a life that tempts Christians to go into sin. Second thing, the best way to do that is to be ruthlessly ridding our lives of sin and temptation. And the Lord covers that very graphically in verses 8 and 9. I mean, ruthlessly get rid of sin in your life. And last week we saw five... Practical steps, and I hope that some of us have gone home this this past week and started putting those, like I've identified this is something I do with my hands. Here's somewhere I go with my feet. Here's someone or something I look at with my eyes, and those things lead me into sin, and so I have to have them torn out of my life. And the third thing we noticed was that Jesus, in verses 6 through 9, uses very vivid language to contrast this life here, which we think is the most important, how we live, with eternity, which truly is the most... No matter how bad something is in this life, if it ultimately leads us to listen to the Lord and receive His salvation and follow Him, then no matter how bad it is here, if it causes us to have the better eternity, then that's a good thing in this life. So with that in mind, now that we know who these little ones are, let's read our text today. Look at verse 10. Jesus still doing all the talking here. See that you... He's talking to us. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Little ones, Christians of any age, believers. Why? For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That tells us a lot tells us Jesus calls God his father. That tells us there is a heaven, that God is in heaven, that the God that is in heaven is Jesus' father, and that there are angels that have access and see the face of God, and he calls them their angels, these little ones' angels. Verse 10 again. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Verse 12. What do you think? By the way, let me mention, I'll not go into it, but as you see, here I'm reading from the ESV. Several of you will also have a Bible that does the same thing. There is a skipping of verse 11 because verse 11 only appears in later texts. And so it's put a footnote down there at the bottom of, of, if you have the ESV Bible. Uh, And so what I'm preaching is right here out of this text today. So I'm not going in. It's not that verse 11 is not true. It was apparently, anyway, we won't go into all that. But in the earliest manuscripts that we draw this from it was not in there so i'm preaching this text today so now verse 12 watch it sounds familiar to us what do you think jesus asked what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray oh well i hate it for him i'm gonna miss him let him go nope Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? He's implying, yes, he does. And if he finds it, the if there is not like, oh, hope it might. The idea is when. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, the one that went astray, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine. That never went astray. So, word so there means in the same way, likewise, thus, therefore. So he's used this parable in verses 12 and 13. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven. He drives that home again. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Can we quickly read it through without pausing? One more time. Verse 10. Let's notice three things this morning. Number one, this is, everything's going to spring from this. This is the kind of the main point. There's really two main ideas, but the other main idea is, is really being brought up because of this one. So I, I want everybody as soon, right out of the gate, as soon as you hear this, start start getting in the mode, like, Lord, let me not do this. Notice, do not despise a child of God. One of these little ones who believe stands for a child of God of any age the Lord's command to us this morning is do not despise a child of God. So I step back this week and I realize now, because this is our third week in this text, I go back in my mind to chapter, to chapter 18, verse 5, and now we're up through verse 10. And now I see there are three crucial responses that God's people are to have to each other. Three crucial responses we're to have toward other believers Number one, we are to receive them, to welcome them as if we are receiving and welcoming Jesus. That's in verse 5. We're to receive and welcome. The second thing comes out of verse 6. Listen carefully. Beware of causing another Christian to sin. It will be better for you to go ahead and leave this world in what you would think is a premature death than to be living a life. that So don't let yourself be the one who causes other Christians to sin. I can't re last week, but don't live in a way, don't speak in a way, don't post in a way, don't do those things. Don't let your life be a stumbling block that causes Christians to fall into sin. And then the third thing that we've noticed now in verse number 10, which is this first point here, never despise these little ones of God. Never despise another Christian. Never. Why? I'm going to make a simple statement, and this is what hopefully comes out in the text. Never despise a child of God, because they are extremely valuable, extremely valuable. Listen, the people you're sitting around are far more valuable than you realize. If you're a Christian, you, and I'm not here, you say, Jeff, you sound like the guy in Houston. Listen, you are far more valuable than you realize. I'm not here to give you a pep talk and a a psychological boost. I'm telling you the facts of this this text today. You are far more valuable than you think. And the people you're sitting around and all the other Christians in your life, they are far more valuable than you realize. Look at verse 10. Something struck me this week. Look at the first five words. Just look at them. Aren't those odd? Do you see it? Look at those. Is that, that strikes me as odd. That's a strange way to say this. Listen to it. See that you do not. See that you... Do not. Is that a command? See that you do not. Is that a command or a prohibition? You're like, wait. See that you, you know what that means? Give attention to this. Give focus. Give energy. Be diligent. be be vigilant listen if this isn't true in your life today it doesn't mean it won't be tomorrow you have to stay on top of this see that you do not oh so it's a do not if you're taking notes write this down Jesus combines a command and a prohibition together because he's wanting to make his point very emphatic like really do not do this do not do this Keep on seeing that you do not do this. Never let this become a part of your life. And now we see what is he calling for. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you do not despise other Christians. So now I just want you to feel the next idea. What does it mean to despise? What is to despise? See that you, if if this is so important, he puts a command and a prohibition to get the the thought across that I'm not to do this, what does the word despise? So just feel it. It's probably what you think in your mind. Don't despise them. Don't despise other Christians. What does despise mean? Despise means to look down on. Do not look down on other Christians. It means to scorn. It means to show contempt toward other Christians. Don't look down on them. Don't scorn them in your mind or outwardly. Don't ever do it. Grace for you. Don't scorn. Don't look down on Christians. Do not have contempt in your heart. Do not show contempt outwardly for other Christians. MacArthur writes the following. He says, It is natural for the world to resent Christians and to look down on them, but it is not acceptable for Christians. That We are not to do that with each other. Don't let this be something that you consciously think or even subconsciously sense within yourself. You need to see to it that you do not allow this. And I'm looking for a very simple answer. I'm going to try to word this simply. Sometimes the way I word my questions are not easy to understand, I'm told, (laughs) by my family. (laughs) The other day, I asked for the answer of a question. The answer was 13, and not many folks got that. Uh, Someone online was getting it, though, thankfully. I'm like, man, did I ask it that terribly? Anyway, here I'm defending myself. I'm sorry. I I have to ask my question more simply. Here's the question. I look down on this floor. Why? Simple. Simple. Well, Jeff, you're looking down on the floor because it's it's beneath me. Do not despise other Christians. Check your heart. I want you to check your heart right now. Is there anyone in your contact list, is there anyone in this room right now that in your heart you look down on them because in your mind they're beneath you? Don't be that way. Is there any Christian in your past that in your heart, if you're being up, because God sees the heart, is there any Christian in your heart that you look down on because in your subconscious or in your, I'll just straight up tell you, they are beneath me. Jesus says, do not despise one of these little ones. You're like, yeah, but you don't understand what they've done. They did this to me or they did this to people that I love. And yes, I despise them. Then you are in sin. We are not to despise other Christians. We are not to look down on and to scorn. So in what way? I'm jumping right into one of the major parts of the message because it's in this point, but I'm going to go ahead and hit it. And these are not spelled out in the text, but I'm going to offer some ways that God's little ones must not be despised by us. Let's take a list. You have a handout in front of you. Write these down. Just go through. Honestly, we could add 15 more things this is a Sunday And as I'm doing this, I'm encouraging you, check your heart. Is there anything in me that looks down on someone else? because in my mind, I see them as beneath me and below me. I see myself as superior to them because of this condition. Number one, God's little ones must, must not be despised just because they are young. or young in the faith. I may be talking to just one person, but there may be someone in this building that here's the fact, you need to check your heart. When little, small-bodied Christians are running around, they just get on your nerves. You don't like them, and in your mind, they're not up where we're at. They're beneath us, not just physically, but in spiritual status. They're down there, or new Christians, we're the mature Christians, and they're the immature Christians, and so we're up here, and they need to attain to our position. You need to stop despising God's children. Number two. This I'm tying back to last week's message because it was still on my heart as I studied this week. God's little ones must not be despised just because they bear the marks of past sin or because they bear the marks of drastic measures that they've taken in their life to rid their life of former sins. Now, I'll not get into specific details, but let's just be honest. There are some folks that you can look at who are now Christians that you can see physically the results of past sins because their past sins left physical marks and scars on their body. Don't you dare look at them and put them in your mind down here and keep yourself up here. Don't do that. Think about what I just said. What about those who take drastic measures to rid? They took verse 8 and verse 9 seriously where the Lord says, if your hand or your foot caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. They don't take it literally, but they take it seriously. And so they're like, that activity or that place, I have moved it out of my life. Or this thing with my eye, it tempts me, and so I've gotten myself rid of that. Not to re-preach last week's message, but if you ever come across someone like, hey, just look it up on your phone. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I, I can't. How come? I don't have data. I don't have a data plan. Oh, can you not afford data plan? Can. Why don't you have data? What's the matter with you, man? You know what you're missing. Why don't you have data? It's, is it too expensive? No, it's 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 just it's too costly. It doesn't. It's not the money. It would lead me into sin, and I can't handle it. <laughs> Dude, what's wrong? Don't do that. What you ought to do is say, man, that person has enough care in their heart about their spiritual life. They're willing to do that. It could be this. Why did you move away from your family? Why aren't you with those friends? Why did you leave that job? It pays better than the one you have now. It may be because they have ridded their life of things that tempted them to sin. So don't look down at them because they've taken these steps. Third thought. God's little ones must not be despised just because their appearance is different from you, or because they're unattractive. There's a lot in that. I'm, I'm giving you reasons why some someone in this room, if we will check our heart, this is in us, right? Someone's appearance is different from you. It could be as simple as their skin color is different than yours. Their hair texture is different from yours. They look different than you, and you subconsciously put yourself here and them down there. Don't do it. That's your brother and sister in Christ. It could, do y'all know it could be styles? It could be styles that we wear. You may be a polyester, black, white, and gray person, right? You're polyester, solids. But just know another Christian may like cotton tie-dye shirts. And if you, you need to check your heart. Like if, if I'm in, like to, literally of all days, I've got my black and gray on, right? And I do have a little pattern here, but it's very subtle. That's me. But I shouldn't look at someone else who has like patterns and some brightness to their, co- their color scheme and their styles. And they're not just polyester. And they're a little bit of that and a little bit of that. And it's just different. It's like, that's fine. Don't you assume they're down here and I'm up here. Oh, by the way, that goes both ways. Don't assume because you're the maybe more modern-looking person that someone who wears the black and the white and the gray polyester Don't you put them down here either. That goes both ways. So does the next one. Write this down. God's little ones must not be despised. Don't let this happen. Do not look down on people just because they lack worldly possessions or positions or power. Maybe the Lord has blessed you and you have a goodly amount of worldly possessions or you have positions and you have titles and people look up to you. And what you say matters, and when you sign a document, there's authority behind that, and they don't have that. Don't look down on them. Please don't look down on them. Don't think you're better than someone because you have more than them. This is the time for us to hit this. The Lord is saying, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Like, for whatever reason, do not let yourself despise them. Oh, by the way, that goes both ways, too grace for you. Do not assume that because the Lord has blessed someone and they are blessed with possessions and positions and power in this life that they're responsible for, that they're automatically not a good person or uppity or prideful. No, you don't have the authority to make that assumption. They may be the most generous, godly person in our assembly. Don't make a wrong conclusion. Don't do it. Number five, God's little ones must not be despised just because they have a humble spirit in a non forceful way. Jeff what's your point? You may be a go-getter. You may be a take charge get things done leadership kind of person blessed by God with the gift of administration and leadership and you kind of do it diligently as Romans 12 tells us to do if you're put in a position like you you go you you make it happen. But just know that other people may have a non-forceful, very outwardly humble, meek way about them. Don't look down on them. And I had to check my heart this week. Am I looking down on this person? And in my final conclusion, I was like, Lord, I don't think I'm doing I think I make an observation, and I don't want to be that way. I, I've been around people. A person came to my mind, and it's just because I think... I've spent time with them and seen them because they have a way and an authority that they kind of look down on others that are not up on their status. They put up with them, and again, there's just a way of subtly just talking down at. Don't ever let that be you. Please don't let that be us here. I love our leadership here. I, I love their spirit. I'm not embarrassed, but th- I've never sensed that one time in them. They just, they love, they just see themselves as one of And I love that about our leadership. And then the next one quickly. God's little ones must not be despised just because they lack spiritual knowledge. And they have wrong beliefs. They have wrong beliefs. You're like, hold on, Jeff. They have wrong beliefs. They've got wrong beliefs, Jeff. Let me tell you something. So do you. Well, who are you to stop? So do I. I have wrong beliefs. I have wrong ideas about things. I have some things that I think are true about the Bible that are not right. You say, what are they? I don't know. I don't know yet. I believe them. But I know this to be a fact because 10 years ago, I thought differently on some things that I now... So I've learned this. My safe ground is when I can go directly to the Scripture and back it up by here. But when I back away from that, we talked about this Friday night with Paul and Cheryl. When I get away from the Scripture or any of us, this is then we're getting away from our sure foundation. And that's when I have to say, well, I think this and you think that. And we'll see who's right and let's give it some time. And, oh, why do you think that? That's a good thing. But, yes, you're going to come across Christians who have wrong beliefs. You're going to come across Christians who have underdeveloped or undeveloped or their theology or they have too much theology. And that's usually the ones that we tend to despise. They see sin in everything around every bush and corner that's not really sin. And we want to look down on them because, hey, you've got too many scruples in your life. You need to realize not everything's a sin. You need to lighten up. Like, wait, don't despise them. And then number seven is actually the context of our text today. This is the main one the Lord is hitting at. Grace for you, do not despise God's little ones, just because they are spiritually weak and have fallen into open sin. Let me say it again. Graceview, do not despise any of God's little ones, God's people, just because they are spiritually weak and have fallen into open sin. We've learned on recent Wednesdays that context is the key factor in interpreting a passage of Scripture. So this one's really easy. All those other things that I said are absolutely true, the other six. But the main context here, look back at verse 6, with, in, uh, verse six in your, in your, with your eyes. Look at that. Look at verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Oh, wait. So it is possible for Christians? Absolutely. And they can be led into sin. Make sure you're not the one that is doing that, but they're led into sin. Verse number 10, see that you do not despise one of these uh, little ones. Actually, I'm looking at verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray. See that? They've gone astray. Don't lead them into sin. This one has gone astray. And then verse 15. So we're looking ahead. Here's the context. We see what's right before our text. We see what's right in the middle of our text. And then we see already what's coming up next week, Lord willing. Look at verse 15. If your brother, brother, brother. Christian brother and sister sins if your brother sins. So that's the context. Don't despise one of God's children just because they're in a moment or a condition of spiritual weakness and have fallen into open sin. Don't despise Christians who are in sin. So here's our warning. When Christians fall into sin, it's easy for the rest of God's children who are not presently who are not presently away from the Lord to get spiritual amnesia. That one's away from the Lord right now, and we know it. The word's out. We're privy to it. Be careful that you don't despise. Look down on scorn. Have contempt for them. Say yourself as superior because they're away from the Lord, and you get a case of spiritual amnesia. You say, what do you mean? We start forgetting the times that we fell into sin. We become judgmental. We look down on the weaker brother for going astray as if we're superior. I'm going to tell you what that's an indication of when we do that. They're out in say, By the way, nothing that I'm saying is saying, oh, what's our stance? Just let it go, and it's okay, and it's fine, and that's the way they they live their Christian life. We want to live our our Christian life a little closer to the Lord. Maybe they're straying away from the Lord. Either one's good. No. The Lord has a command for it. It's coming up in verses 15 to 20. And the spirit of it is going to continue all the way to the end of the chapter. But he starts with this. Number one, don't you despise them. Don't you look down on them as though you're better. If you're taking notes, to despise fallen Christians is to forget two things. Number one, it's to forget our own hidden sins. And number two, it's to forget our past failures. I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, what you're writing down, you have both of those. You have both. So here we see someone, one of our brothers and sisters in Christ, who's away from the Lord, they're in open sin. We know it. Don't despise and look down. See yourself as superior because you have hidden sins. You might even know what the hidden sin is. Now, you're casting your eye downward at them, but you know, now, I do have this thing that I'm dealing with. Well, that's a problem. That should keep us from looking downward. Or your hidden sin may not even yet be known to you, but it is in there, and the Lord is going to continue to expose these things in our life until sanctification has accomplished its full work by the time we die and go to be with the Lord. Maybe this is what's happening in our life that we need to remember. Now, hang on. They're in sin. We don't condone sin. But I've actually had a head start implementing verse 8a and verse 9a in my life. I've been able, by God's grace, to remove some of these things in my life. They've not yet had that happen, and so they need some help. Flip over, if you would, Galatians chapter 6, and you'll see the spirit in which we're supposed to approach those who have strayed from the Lord. Galatians chapter 6, notice verse 1. He says, brothers, means brothers and sisters. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, he's talking to brothers, brothers and sisters, this is in the family, among Christians. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, all that means is you who are still being prompted and responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Right now, they're living, the other one's living in sin. They're not responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit So here's what's supposed to happen. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's the key thought. Do it. Don't just let them out there. Sin is a problem. Sin needs dealt with. But do it in a spirit of gentleness. And watch this next line. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. In other words, it's not this downward view, downward speaking. It's this reaching out sideways all the while realizing, God, it's only by your grace that is not me. Listen carefully. The person who comes to your mind when we're talking about someone that you know is a Christian who's away from the Lord in sin, where you need to start with is this. I could be in the same sin therein, and if that were me, how would I want someone, another brother and sister in Christ to respond to me? I read years and years ago that this, these two verses have to do with like setting a broken bone. If I have a broken bone, then I want Dr. Kyle to be real gent- gentle with that. I don't want him going, does this hurt? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, And it's doing that. Oh, okay, I think you've got a broke arm. Like, yeah. Why did you wrench it like that? He doesn't do that, by the way. Gentle, be careful. Treat them that way. Why? Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is love them, treat them how you would want to be treated. Number 2, back to Matthew 18. Number 2, God... Values each of his children. So don't despise brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Verse 10 through 13 is going to tell us that God values each of his children. He highly values. I started there earlier. This is seen in two ways in our text. Look at verse 10 again, second part of the verse, notice. For I tell you that in heaven, so why should we not despise one of these little ones? Because they're valuable, extremely valuable. How do we know they're valuable? Two ways we know from the text that all Christians are valuable. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. This is a strange text. Uh, There's not a lot in the Bible that is like this. Some will run over to Acts chapter 12, I believe it is, verse 15. I'll not go into that. So here's what I'm going to do as... I've taught before. I'm going to take the Bible at face value. I'm going to teach it literally. What does this mean? For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So don't despise them. This is how valuable they are. One commentator, D.A. Carson, actually favors a view that I don't. That's why it's not in your text. He favors a view that the idea of angels here is the idea of their spirit. It's it's the, the child of God that is away from the Lord. It's actually their spirit forward-looking, future-looking into a time where they're going to forever be in the presence and the face of the Lord. And so, don't despise someone that ultimately ends up in the unshielded presence of God for eternity. That's how valuable they are. They make it, so don't look downward on them. I take this a little more literally in the way it is put before us. For I tell you, here's the Lord's reason why we should not despise any of these little ones. Because I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So let me it's just real simple. I'm not going to launch into a message on angels this morning. This is not the time for that. I'll just say this. Angels are very powerful beings. Far Right now, far more powerful than us. Angels, the ones we're talking about, have not fallen into sin. They're sinless. These are not the demons and devils that have fallen. This is apparently a group within the angels, or maybe he's talking about all of the angels. We're not really sure here. But these angels are sinless. So notice, they're extremely powerful. They are sinless. And here's the main thought I want to get across. Angels are very valuable to God. We're not the only thing going on. We're not the only thing going on. God has his eyes upon us, but there are these spirit beings, and they're being used by God. So here's the thought. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is demanding to not despise any of God's children, any of his little ones, human beings, Christians, even the ones that have strayed. Why? Because they are important enough to God that he assigns angels to serve them. Now, I just said angels are these very powerful beings. Angels are these sinful or sinless beings. These angels have access to be right, like in God's inner courtroom. They're extremely valuable. That's the idea here. These are the ones that maybe there's. Some that aren't always in the presence of the Lord and see his face all the time. But these have access to be right at the. And, and the idea is they're like looking at the Lord, waiting on instruction. They're worshiping, but at, at, at any moment when the Lord gives the word, they're off and serving. Can I like it like this? We have a group of people in our country called Secret Service. They're very, very valuable. They're very experienced. They're highly trained. They're very gifted. They have high character and a lot of money has been put into training them. These aren't like they have military background. They've gone through all of that. I'm telling you, lots of has been invested in these people called the Secret Service. They're valuable to our country, but these valuable people are guarding valuable people. And so if we know these people are valuable, what does that say about the people they're guarding? So if angels are so valuable to God, then what does that say about the ones who are called the little ones who are being guarded by these beings that are valuable? Flip over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 14. This is a classic verse on angels, maybe as classic as any passage in the Scripture would be. Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 14. Having just asked... uh, the question, to which of the angels, verse 13, to which of the angels has he ever said, has God ever said, set at my right, right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, a footstool for your feet? The answer, none of them has ever had that. Only the Son of God has had that said. But yet, verse 14, talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits? So they're spirit beings. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Aren't they all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So, Jeff, what do we can make of that? If we take Hebrews 1.14, couple it back with Matthew 18. Go back there, verse number 10, second part of the verse. They're all spirit beings ministering that are sent out for those to meet the needs of those who will inherit salvation. Verse 10, the Lord says, don't despise any of God's little ones. Remember the context, even those that are out in sin... Because I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So, Jeff, what does that mean? Let me offer you two possible ways of looking at this. Number one, it at least means this. It at least means this. Hebrews 1.14 and verse 10 here. At least all Christians are in a class of people who have angels serving them. All Christians, even new, young Brand new Christians, little bitty young children, and weak Christians who've fallen into sin. They're all in a category, in a class of people who are being served by the angels. The impression we get is this is an exclusive class of people. Not all human beings on the planet are being served by angels. So the text at least means that. At least that. The idea, one more time, here's here's what separates this one from the second idea. The whole group of them, angels, serves the whole group of us. That's one way. Any and all of them serve any and all of us as directed and commanded by the Lord. Obviously, you all know where I'm going with the second idea, which is very possible. And many people believe this, and some shoot it down and say there's not enough here to warrant that. They look over to Acts chapter 12, verse 15. Peter, I won't go into it all. You study that out because I'm going to offer that this is definitely an option. I can't say for sure. It could mean this. Each Christian has a personal angel or angels assigned to serve them. And these beings are highly valuable. And so even the Christian who's out in sin, away from the Lord, is still so valuable that God has assigned the angels, or maybe even they're so special that they have a specific angel or angels that are assigned to them. Either way you look at it, Christians are highly valuable. Now look one more time at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. That's the first point. Second point, why are we not to despise them? Because they're so valuable. How do we see their value? Number one, they're so valuable that God has assigned angels to them. That's a huge clue. Number two is this parable that we read in verses 12 and 13. So before we get to the parable, here's what I need to point out about this one. Jesus is a preacher and a teacher, and like all preachers and teachers... It is his prerogative to use the same illustration more than once and even to use the same illustration for a different purpose. So if you've read this and if anything in you thought, man, that sounds just a touch different than how I remember it, then you're probably remembering Luke 15. So I'm not going to turn there. Let me just quickly, I want you to get it. In Luke 15, it's a different occasion. It's a different audience. It's for a different purpose, but it's the same basic parable about a hundred sheep. See if you notice the difference. Luke 15, not Matthew, here's what's happening. Jesus is teaching and preaching. The despised, downcast tax collectors and well-known outward sinners among the Jews are coming to hear Jesus teach and preach, and they're starting to follow him. Jesus eats with the tax collectors and the sinners. The scribes and the Pharisees who are very haughty, proud, and arrogant, and conceited, who think they're going to go to heaven because of their good works, start grumbling that Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and sinners. Like, why would he be doing that? Jesus, knowing their heart, gives a parable. He says, which of you, having a hundred sheep, if one of them were to leave, would not leave the ninety and nine in the field, the idea there, and to go after the one that, went, that was lost, And he says, and when he finds him, he would put him on his shoulders and bring him back, and there would be this great rejoicing. And he would like to have a party with his friends. And the Lord's point in Luke is that so it is with the Lord God. There's this rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who is saved more over that than over 99 righteous ones who did not need to be saved. Now, follow. In Luke's version... The one that is gone astray represents the sinners that Jesus is dealing with. And the 99 who think they are righteous and don't need to be saved represent the 99 sheep. That's who the 99 sheep. And that one represents the scribes and the Pharisees who think they're righteous. And the Lord's saying, God is much more joyful over one actual sinner realizing their sin, like Jesus was dealing with these people, you want to know why they come to me and listen to me? Because they know they're sinners. They're repenting of their sin. They're confessing and believing on me as the Messiah and Savior, but you guys don't. So the Lord is having more rejoicing over one of them than 99 of you who think you're living a godly life on earth. That's very different than Matthew's Luke's parable was evangelistic. Luke's parable is evangelistic. Matthew's is about pastoral shepherding of Christians. Who are in sin. Matthew's version is pastoral. It's about pastoral shepherding of Christians. So in Luke's parable, 99 represents the Pharisees. The one represents a sinner who gets saved. It's evangelistic. It's about salvation. This one, let me ask you all a question. How many of the 100 sheep in Jesus' parable here in Matthew, how many of the 100 sheep are Christians? A hundred. All 100 are Christians. One of the hundred has gone astray. And so with that in mind, let's notice the following. The Bible very often likens God's people, whether Old Testament the nation of Israel with God, or in the New Testament, Christians with Jesus. Have you ever noticed often the Bible refers to God's people and likens us to being sheep. Now, why? If I were to ask you, write down a few, three or four reasons, why does the Bible liken God's people to sheep? Well, we'd know this. The Bible speaks of us as sheep because it points to God's care for us and God tending to us and God loving us and God knowing us. But with that thought in mind, write this down. We know that the Bible alludes to us as sheep because it's pointing out our dependence on God's provision. We're needy people. It's pointing out that our protection, we need the Lord Jesus who's our great shepherd, who's our chief shepherd, our good shepherd. All of those are said of Christ. We need his protection. We need his provision. But one of the main thoughts why the Bible calls us Christian sheep is because we're very prone to foolishly wander away from the safety of of the Lord Jesus Christ who's our shepherd. We're very prone to wander away from him. We're prone to wander away from the fold. The flock. We're prone to do that. Look at verse 12. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And the idea is yes, he will. Think about that sheep just for a moment. Let's just Don't think people. Think sheep for a moment. How's this little sheep who's drifted off and wandered away, and he looks up, and the flock is gone. I'm just now reminded. I wasn't planning on saying this. I think I was like eight. I would have been eight, and my brother was ten. And we were in Disney World, and my dad, he's not a big fan of Florida because it's so hot, and he's not a big fan of crowds, and he still talks about this uh, to this day if you get him talking about it. We, we were there. He was with us on that trip. We stopped to get ice cream, and then we moved on. A few minutes later, where's Russell? There's no Russell. Russell was still getting ice cream, and we had left and moved. And, man, there was some tension. You gotta, this isn't losing your kid in Walmart. This is losing your kid in Disney World, Magic Kingdom. So there was panic setting in. Finally, we found him. Ten years old, my brother was smart enough not to walk around and move around to go find us. He stood on top of a trash can and finally, there he is. And so we found him. Right. right, All that happened was he wanted some ice cream. He's following his instincts. We moved in his mind. So here's this little sheep. Why is it lost? Folks listening online, pay attention. Those here listening. This sheep is lost because it's following its instincts. It's following what it thinks is the right thing to do. It is no longer following the shepherd. I'm not following the shepherd anymore, but I'm getting away from the flock because I'm doing what I think is the right thing to do, and it's just separating you from the flock. That's what's happening here with the sheep and it falls off an embankment and it can't get it's trapped in some thicket and there comes a wolf or a couple of wolves thankfully just in time here comes the shepherd to save the day but because this little sheep you got to know its little heart's just a pounding it was minding its own business and they look up and everybody's gone what happened and he's out there in danger all but but it has known the shepherd it's known the provision and the protection of the flock you got to know it misses that it's tasted that I don't know how smart they are in their brain but I've got to believe when that little sheep is like that and here comes danger and a couple of growling wolves I've got to believe that sheep is thinking man I miss the shepherd I just want the shepherd and there he comes swinging that staff and grabbing him up and putting him on his shoulders write this down the point of this parable is that God loves all of his children and considers each one Each one worth going after, even the least faithful. Everyone, each one. The number one or ones appears six times in today's text. The Lord is wanting us to understand, I value every single one. I go after each one. I'm going to finish this point by borrowing from Barclay. Again, I usually preface by saying I do not endorse all that Barclay has written. But he drives home a good point here, and this is just a sample. Can I read this to you, and you just let it impact you, and I'm gonna move along for time's sake. He writes the following. The love of God. So here's our idea. Christians, don't despise them. They're so valuable, God assigns angels to them, and angels are valuable. So if those valuable people are guarding these people, then what does that say about these people? They're va- but they're way in said, Jeff. We're going to get to that next week. But the point here is God loves them still. Don't you despise them because God doesn't. Don't you stop loving them because God hasn't. Barclay writes the following. He says, the love of God is a patient love. Sheep are proverbially foolish creatures. The sheep had no one but itself to blame for the danger it had got itself into. And let's just be honest. Yep. Something happens. You asked for it. It's your own fault. Let me word it again. I'm, I'm breaking from his quote just for a moment. Remember, this sheep that has gone astray represents Christians who know to stay with the flock and stay with other believers and stay close to the shepherd, but they haven't. They've gotten away from the flock. They know they're supposed to do it, but they've gotten away. Now back to his thought. The sheep had no one but itself to blame for the danger it got itself into. Men are apt to have so little patience with the foolish ones. When they get into trouble, insert my thought, they will. You get out there, you're going to get into trouble, he writes, about men. When they get into trouble, we are apt to say it's their own fault. They brought it on themselves. Translation, tried to tell them. Guess they had it coming. They know where we're at. Barclay says, thank God, God is not like that. And then, skipping down a few paragraphs later, he wrote this. From verse 13, look at it. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. I'm just going to tell you all straight up. I I deleted this thought. I'm, I'm going to do it from memory. I struggled with verse 13. I struggled understanding it. If he finds it, the one that went astray, and I'm thinking, okay, that sheep represents Christians who've gone away from the fold and from the Savior in sin. If he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. the wait a minute. This isn't Luke's. This isn't the one sinner that gets saved. The Lord rejoices over that more than over the 99 who don't think they need saved. These 99 are the faithful Christians. And he's rejoicing over that one being found and coming back more than over the 99 that never went astray. And I struggled with that. And I don't know that I fully have the answer. I think it was MacArthur offers the following. It's the best sounding answer that I found. And it kind of hits home. You say, Jeff, hang on. That is a question. I know this. The Lord doesn't want the 99 to go off in sin. But if you're not careful, you could read that. It sounds like I need to get off in sin and let the Lord come get me. And that makes him really happy. I need to be the one. I need to be that one that's just always straying. and God's people is always trying to come track me down because that must make him really excited. No, no, go read Romans six: one and2. Promise you that's not what that says. So what is it? MacArthur offered the following, again, I'll throw it to you. It's like a mother who has multiple children and one of the children gets really, really sick, really ill, and that one child's going to get more of her attention and more of her time. And when it gets better, she's going to rejoice more over the one getting better than she does over all the other ones that didn't even get sick. So it doesn't mean that this one sheep, this one Christian is more valuable or more loved. It just means their straying has drawn out such emotion. It's not a value thing. Don't let it tempt you. And I struggled with that, and thankfully he offered that solution. Now I'm not supposed to go into that because my time's moving. Verse 13. If he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Parkley concludes the following. Not only did he say the love of God is patient love, the love of God is a rejoicing love. He's getting ready to nail us, so pay attention. Remember where I said check your heart as we went through these seven things that we're not supposed to despise God's people for, especially that last one when they get out in sin, is this us. Quote, So often we accept a man who is penitent. Are you ready to get right? Okay, come on back. So often we accept a man who is penitent, but we accept him with a moral lecture and a clear indication that he must regard himself as a contemptible creature and the practical statement that we have no further use for him and that we do not propose to trust him ever again. is Is that clear? Translation, you're second class now. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. All right. Come on back. It's good to have him back. But you're second class. We're never giving you anything. We don't trust you. You're so lowly. You're beneath us. No. He says it is human never to forget a man's past and always to remember his sins against him. But God puts our sins behind his back. And when we come back to him, it's all joy. And I think of the prodigal. Can I just be a servant? I just want to be a servant. I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. Love him. It's just rejoicing. There's no downward how horrible and how bad you are. I hate that you had to come out here. To That's what I do. I'm not going to lose you. Which takes us to verse 14, number three. God's will for his little ones. We'll be brief on 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Don't ever despise any of God's children looking downward as though we're superior because when we do, we're forgetting our own sinfulness and our own past failures. Don't ever despise and look downward on any of God's children in any of those things, anyway, because they're very, very valuable. They're so valuable. He's assigned angels to them, and they're so valuable that they have this parable that illustrates how important they are to him. And now we find out in verse 14 Never despise any Christian because they're so loved by God that he will do what it takes to ensure that they will not perish. Verse 14, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That's the point he's getting across. He's going to go after them. If you're taking notes, you're next to the last note this morning is, one of the main points of verse 14 is, hear it, no specific sin... And no amount of sin can ever cause a true Christian, a true child of God, to lose their eternal life. So really when verse 14 is all boiled down, it is in large part about security and safety and eternal security. I had this conversation with someone just this past week. So what the Lord is saying is, do not despise them because they will not stray forever. The Lord is saying, I will see to it. I will make it my business to go get them. They will not stray forever. It's not his will that they perish. Hold your spot here. Flip over to John chapter 10. Look at John 10. You'll see one verse on the screen, but I'm going to back up just a touch around it. You'll really be advantaged if you turn. John 10. John chapter 10. So verse 24. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and asked him, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Sounds like a legitimate question on the surface. If you've read the Gospel of John and the New Testament. I mean, think about that. Jews gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. I told you. And you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. In other words, I've said enough and I've done enough. You should already know who I am. But verse 26, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep. So here's the difference. You're not one of them. That's why you don't believe. I could say it a hundred different ways. You're not going to believe is what he's saying. My sheep hear my voice. That's one thing. His sheep, that's just that's a fact. Shepherds and their sheep. Their sheep know their shepherd. You can have five different shepherds and you can have five different flocks mingled among each other. But when each shepherd starts talking, its flock will follow him because they know his voice. Verse twenty-seven. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. So the shepherd knows the sheep. The sheep know the sound of the the shepherd's voice, and they follow me. So there. That's an outline right there. They don't have time to preach, right? So. They hear me, I know them, they follow me. Okay, so what happens? Verse 28, I give them eternal life. Eternal life there means life of the ages to come. Notice the next phrase, and they will never perish. I don't see how anybody can get around the word never when it comes to eternal security of the saints. I'm not talking about everybody who professes they're a Christian. I'm talking about everyone who actually possesses salvation, can never lose it. It is not the will of the Father, and the Lord Jesus will see to it to carry out the will of the Father. Verse 28, one more time. I give them eternal life, and they will never, it doesn't even say not perish, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's too strong, and if that's not strong enough, verse 29, which is not on the screen. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Like never, There, I got you. And oh, by the way, he's got us. You can't lose this. And if that's not enough, you need to just go swim in Romans 8. We'll only read the last two verses. Romans 8, verse 38. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, here's a big line, nor things present, nor things to come. But what if someone does this or that or the other? No specific sin, no amount of sin can ever cause a true child of God to lose their eternal life. Why? Verse 38 again. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth out in the galaxy, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't lose it. Can't lose it. He sees to it. So here's the final thoughts. What about this one that's straying? You may be sitting here this morning. You may have bumbled in here, you think, accidentally. And here's the fact. You've been straying from the Lord. You may be watching online right now. You've just been straying from the Lord. What about then? God has a lot of ways to bring straying Christians back to himself. But here's: I'm going to throw this out. I'm not saying always. I'm saying almost always. Somewhere along the way... At some point, some stage, God will use his people to be part of the process of bringing them back. And that's our final thought this morning. Verse 14, the Lord says, so. Thus, therefore, he's getting a message across. He's interpreting the parable. So. So R.T. France writes the following quote. You're going to write the second part, so you need to hear the first part first. You ready? Ready? from verse 14 and looking back to verse 10 he writes the following he says the introduction in verse 10 made it clear that the disciples are expected to reflect the pastoral mind of God we're supposed to here's what the Lord's saying don't despise them I don't the father doesn't don't you do it Get the heart of God. Literally, we sang a few moments ago about, Lord, open up our eyes and give us your heart that we may love those around us. I don't know if that was by design, on purpose, by Chris or Eric or whoever picked those songs. That's the point of the text. There it is, right there. So he continues. The introduction in verse 10 made it clear that the disciples are expected to reflect the pastoral mind of God. And now as we're looking to next week's text, go home and read it. He writes... It will be the individual disciple who is expected to take the necessary remedial action in verses 15 to 17 to ensure that God's pastoral concern is implemented among his people. So first we're supposed to have the heart and mind of God, and then there's going to come this point where we're supposed to like go after the people. So we don't just say, hey, they're out in sin. I'm not going to despise them. I've learned that this morning. I'm not better than them. I hate it for them, but... Whenever they're ready to come back, they'll come back. Nope. We are called to go draw them and bring them back into the fold, to go after those who have strayed. That's our call. And that'll be very clear next week. I know you're writing a note, but do you guys remember a time in your life where you fell into a shameful pit of sin? You'll only appreciate this point if you can maybe go home. Don't wallow in it, but just go back and remember do you remember that time where you got away from the Lord and you were in sin? Aren't you glad He didn't leave you there? And can I ask you this? Really think through the details. Did God use a godly Christian, a humble Christian, a patient Christian in your life to help draw you back to Himself? Did God use someone else? It may have been a parent. It may have been a brother or sister in your earthly family. It may have been someone at work. It may have been a neighbor. It may have been someone who's been missing you from the church. It may be at church. It may be something you heard on the radio. It could be a song. It could be a podcast. But the Lord, it may be literally something as even this text today that this person is away and the Lord is using it to bring them back. So, guys, I've got to tell you, this is not the end of the story. Hey, Jeff summed it all up. We've heard the voice of Jesus. Don't despise them. Next week, we continue. I'm getting ready to make some strong statements, and then we're done. But I am going to make a strong statement. Next week, we're going to see that Christians are to be patient with Christians who struggle with sin. True. But we're to go after them, we are not to condone sin. We're not to, we can't condone open sin. Nothing in verse 10 and verse 14 gives us permission to just condone and let slide open sin. We can't. So here's the strong statement. If, and this is already dipping into next week, if a professed believer chooses to continue to wallow in known sin after repeated And repeated wooing and warnings. But they continue to wallow in the known sin with no remorse. What do we do there? Then we're gonna learn that we are to assume they're not a true child of God. And then we change at that point where maybe we thought we'd been doing this pastoral work, Matthew's version of this parable. We're no longer doing pastoral, going after the straying Christian. If they just continue and continue, however long that is, wallowing in known sin after repeated wooing and pleading and warnings, they just choose to stay in that. Then we take the Luke 15 mindset. So we change from shepherding a straying believer to evangelizing a lost person. Listen very carefully. Here's why. Jeff, what grounds do we have to believe that? Because Christians struggle with sin. But Christians struggle with sin. Lost people don't struggle with sin. They just give in. And they may fake it for a while. 1 John two nineteen, And they go out and they don't come back because they never were of us. They could only pretend so long. And that would affect how we... Approach them. And so whether you're here this morning, if I could have that camera right there, I want to speak to that camera the following thoughts. I want to speak clearly to any true Christian who is straying from the Lord. And I want to talk in a way that I want you guys to do with me if I stray from the Lord. What I'm about to say is not a threat. It's a loving promise. The first sentence may sound like a threat. It's not a threat. It's a loving promise. If you've strayed from the Lord and you're his child, God's coming after you. He's coming. And he's going to find you. He loves you way more than you think he does. He will not stop. We may stop. He will not stop. He will find you. He will never give up on you. Now, if hearing that makes you think then I'm just going to presume and take advantage of and take for granted the love of Christ. Then I'll just continue in my sin if he's just going to keep on no matter what I do. Then you need to understand you're probably not a true believer. You are a pretender because that's the way pretenders think. But if you're a true Christian, then God has you watching this this morning for a reason. Because God wants you to know I'm coming. I'm going to get you. I love you way more than you think. I will not stop. We have heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm talking to Christians. If you're his child, God will always bring you back to him. The only exception, I think, of that is if ultimately you continue to wallow in sin and you are his child. The Bible does allude that he will then take an extreme measure and Let your life on earth be ended seemingly prematurely. Because He will not let you just keep drifting from Him. He loves you too much. He will bring you to Himself. But that's not what He wants it to get to. So just a few quick thoughts, and I'll pray in a moment. You may be sitting here this morning, or you may be watching online, and I'm talking to you. If you are a distant from the Lord Christian... If you've strayed, God still loves you. It's my job to tell you that. God still loves you, and so do we. We're learning. We must. It is we're called to that, but we should do it. We still love you, but Jesus loves you way more than we do. Can I ask you this? Do you remember better days? I'm talking to all of us. Do you remember better days where you were closer to the Lord, when you were closer to the flock, to the other sheep, then I ask you, is God calling you like right now? If you hear him calling you right now, it is not an accident that today's message is on this. Then just do like the prodigal son. Can I just encourage you right now? Just fade me out and bring the Lord into your close attention and focus and just run to him. Like, Lord, I'm just running to you. Straying Christian, let let me mention something. This is important. Sheep rarely realize how far they've strayed. Sheep rarely realize how far they have strayed. So I'm just going to ask you, simple question. Are you close to the Lord this morning? Everybody in the house, everybody watching online, yes or no? Are you close to the Lord this morning? Are you nearly as close to the Lord this morning as you've ever been? are you sitting there saying, no, I've been much closer. Or are you sitting there saying, I am the farthest from the Lord I've ever been. Then run to him this morning. He's calling you. He's coming after you. Go to him. And do it now. Just before I pray. If you are close to the Lord this morning, then give thanks. (laughs) Really, take a moment. Give thanks. To the Lord for that time, do you remember when you were away from the Lord? Do you remember before you had your current victory over that thing in your life and he didn't let you go? Do you remember that he used someone in your life or used a situation? Just thank God right now, God, it is only by your grace that I'm close to you this morning, that I'm not far away. I'm not better than or superior. And just tell him, Lord, I remember that day. I remember that season of my life, and you get all the credit. I th- Lord, keep me close. So give him thanks and ask him to keep you close. And in Christians, remember never despise another Christian because of their age, scars, their lack of knowledge, their wrong ideas, their spiritual weakness, their appearance. Their style, their skin, their way, their meek way, their lack of possessions, or their sin. Just keep on loving them. And then lastly, is God putting anyone on your heart that you're supposed to fulfill? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Are you supposed to go after them again this week? And you're like, no, come on, really? No. In a spirit of gentleness, considering ourselves, Lord, if that was me, how would I want someone to pursue me? Because it could be me. Father, we thank you for these folks this morning. Thank you for this message. Thank you for always coming after us. Thank you for letting us be your children, your little ones. Lord, you know our nature. We are so prone to follow our instincts and stop following the Savior. We'll get in trouble. God, it's only by your grace that we're in your house this morning with an open Bible, with freedoms to worship, to study, and to invite your Holy Spirit to speak. Father, I pray for all. Lord, I pray for those who Lord, still feel the need to just view online. Lord, I pray that you would just draw close to them. Lord, let them remain a strong part of our family. And then, Lord, when that day comes and it is right for them to join us back, then, Father, I pray that that would happen and it would be sweet on both ends. Father, I pray that you would make your people sensitive to the leading of the Spirit this week and that we that are following the prompting of the Spirit would go and be your hands and feet and mouth after those who are not right now following your prompting. May we do it with a spirit of gentleness and fear in our own life. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.